Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day which you have made and that we can glorify you in it by hearing from your word and then seeking to put it into practice. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand your word this morning. We pray that you may particularly be with me. May what I say be true and honest. May you keep lies and deception far from my lips this morning. May you speak through me so that the people here are encouraged and built up in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we often make claims about various things. And when we make a claim about something, it is always good to have some proof to back up what you claim. And I've learned this uh, from experience of dealing with particularly telecommunication companies and large businesses that the best thing you can do is get them to put something in writing. So I don't actually call Optus anymore when I have a problem. I always email them or my internet provider. I also email them so that when they respond, I then have a hard piece of evidence from them and that I've contacted them in the past. I have a clear record of my dealings with them. Whereas when you ring up on a phone, uh, you rarely are able to get uh, straight answers out of people and then you can't really back up your claim as to what they said should happen. Whereas if you can email what they said previously and how they promised something and they haven't fulfilled that, then it's very easy to make a claim against them and you've got the evidence there to prove uh, what you are saying. And it's the thing that we've uh, been doing for centuries, that humanity has always looked for evidence for the claims of people. And this is, the problem is that people make false claims, that people lie about things. And so we're suspicious when someone makes a claim about something and we want to see whether the evidence is there. And this morning, we're looking at the people of God in Ezra, the Israelites, and how they've been making a claim about something. They've been making a claim that they're allowed to build the temple in Jerusalem. And people around them are very suspicious of that claim. We looked at last week how they've begun to question whether the Israelites have the authority to build the temple in Jerusalem. And so the Israelites responded in Ezra chapter 5, which we looked at last week, with why they should be allowed to build the temple. And this week we see whether the evidence is there for their authority to build this temple. How did the Israelites get here, though? I should give a bit of a background. Uh, remember, in Genesis, we have Abraham. He is called by God to uh, follow God, and then he has a son, Isaac. Isaac has uh, many sons. They become the, the nation of Israel. They then all, because of Joseph, one particular son, end up in Egypt, uh, in Egypt, they are blessed because Joseph is in power. Then, of course, Joseph dies. A new pharaoh comes to the, the throne, and he doesn't like the Israelites. He oppresses them. And so God calls them out of Egypt uh, with a large number of miracles. They go into the desert, and they make their way to the promised land. They get to the promised land with Joshua, and then, of course, they sin a lot. God gets very unhappy with them. They are then taken out of the promised land into Babylon, into exile, and then God graciously brings them back from Babylon to the land, the promised land, to Jerusalem again, and they start to rebuild. And that's where we pick up with Ezra. So in Ezra, we see them at the very beginning, as we've looked at Ezra for uh, different weeks in the past, 
we saw that they come back to this promised land and they start to rebuild the temple. And then they've received this opposition, which has come last week, this questioning, what is your authority to be doing this? Many years have passed since they first got back. And now we see, is there evidence to back up their claim that they have the authority from the king to rebuild this temple? And we see that they do. My first main point this morning, on the back of the church bulletin, you can see my two main points this morning. My first is that evidence is found to support the claims of God's people. Evidence is found to support the claims of God's people. And we see this in Ezra chapter 6, verse 1. We see that a search is made for this evidence. So back in chapter 5, the enemy sent a letter asking Darius to uh, see if this order was made. So we see that in verse 17 of Ezra chapter 5. If you've got a black church Bible, it's page 465. I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you as we work through this passage. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 17, we see that they ask that the search may, may be made. So verse 17, Now if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. And so in verse 1, we see that King Darius does what they request. Verse 1, King Darius then issued an order. And they searched in the archives stored in the treasury of Babylon, at Babylon. And then we see in verse 2, a scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbatana in the province of Media. A scroll is found, evidence is found. It's interesting here that it's not found in Babylon. The request was that they've searched to see if King Cyrus did issue this decree that they could rebuild the temple in Babylon. But where is it found? It's found in Ekbatana. So they've actually made a very thorough search. Why does it show up in Ekbatana? Why not in the capital city in Babylon? Well, like all um, royal officials, they often have different palaces in different areas. And Cyrus did. He, he, he spent time in, in Babylon during the winter because it was a warmer place. And then he was in Susa in the spring and then in Ekbatana in the summer because it was a higher elevated place. And so it was a nicer place to be because it was cooler during the summer. And so he spent his first uh, year in the summer there in Ekbatana. And so a thorough search was made here. And this is quite uh, good that they've done this here. It's not in the days of computers like us today. We type in decree by Cyrus into a computer, pops up many different records. Uh, no, someone would have had to send a message to Ekbatana. Is there a decree there concerning these Israelites in Jerusalem from King Cyrus during his reign? And yes, they do find this scroll. And on the scroll is evidence that the Israelites' claim is true. What do we read on the scroll? That King Cyrus did indeed decree to build the temple. Verse 2, we see uh, the last word of verse 2 is memorandum, and then in verse 3 we see this decree. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. We see Cyrus really did it. 
what was claimed by the Israelites back in verse 13 of chapter 5. Their claim was that Cyrus gave them authority to do so. Verse 13, however, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. It was their claim, and here it is backed up. There is evidence to support their claim. King Cyrus really did issue a decree. And he didn't just uh, say, go back, do what you want. No, he's very specific. He said, you have authority to build this temple. He even gave them measurements as to how big the temple could be. It's a usual thing that local governments, local councils, are very specific about what you can and can't do when you build something. And so here we see, this is an old tradition, the king says uh, it can't be excessive. You've got very specific requirements here. You can't build anything that's going to be a major fortress that you might use against me. No, it's only to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. He's very specific. And he also tells them how they are to build it in what materials. Verse 4, with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. And that's what they were actually doing uh, back in verse 8 of chapter 5. What were the people doing? Verse 8, the king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. That's the enemy speaking. And then they talk about what they saw. The people are building it with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. They were doing what Cyrus had ordered them to do. The people were carrying it out, being very specific that they were only doing what they were allowed to do, what they claimed they could do. And it's not even just that he tells them how big it is to be and what materials to use. He also throws in something that the Israelites never even claimed. Did you notice that? In verse 4, it says, verse 4 begins with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. Then the next sentence, the costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. That's something the Israelites didn't claim. But here it is in black and white from Cyrus. The costs are for this temple are to be paid for by the treasury. Now, why wasn't this happening? Why weren't, wasn't, why weren't the Israelites taking advantage of this part of the decree? Well, of course, Cyrus wouldn't have been talking about the royal treasury back in his place. He was talking about the royal treasury back in Jerusalem, the people that were there. It was meant to come out of local revenues. And, of course, whenever a decree comes from the top and is meant to be carried out by the local boys, um, there's often a bit of a disconnect between the governments. There's always that uh, the, the hostility that you can sometimes see between... Federal government, state government, local governments, each one trying to scratch each other's back to get anything out of one another. And here we see that kind of thing was still happening back in the time of the Israelites. The king orders money is to come from you boys. And of course, there's a bit of a, uh, it kind of gets lost in the mail, that part of the order. And so they don't uh, pay for the building of this temple. The Israelites are bearing the burden themselves. And it's not just that they're given the authority to build the temple. There's another thing that the Israelites claim that is also backed up in this decree. We see the Israelites' claims are uh, given great evidence here from this decree. What was their other claim? Their other claim back in chapter 5 was that articles of silver and gold were to be returned. Back verse 14. The Israelites' words to the enemies was, were, in verse 14, he, that's Cyrus, even removed from the temple of Babylon the gold and silver articles of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. And what do we see? 
was in the decree from Cyrus in verse 5 of chapter 6. Also, Cyrus says, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the, from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. So we see another piece of evidence backs up another claim of the Israelites. They claim they had authority to build this temple. They claim that they even had authority to have treasures removed from Babylon, very expensive treasures. They're not talking about some uh, old junk that was gathering dust there in Babylon. They thought, oh, what can we do with this? We don't really want to throw it out, but we'll ship it over to Jerusalem. No, it was expensive stuff. And the Israelites were claiming they had authority to have that back in their temple. And did they have authority? Is there evidence to prove that claim? Yes. Cyrus said, yes, it is to go back. Those articles of gold and silver are to be returned. And so we see the claims of God's peoples are shown to be true. And this is very important to recognise. That evidence is behind their statements. If the scroll was not found... What would happen? It'd be all over for the Israelites. They've got hostile people coming against them, wanting to stop the work. And if this evidence wasn't found, at, uh, at worst they might be thought to be liars. They were, they were making up stuff about uh, what the king had said they could do. Or at best they'd look like idiots, fools that they were deluded by either their fathers or someone had told them that they had authority to get back there and they had no evidence to support that claim. The decree was never made at all and they looked like complete idiots for coming back and claiming something that they should never have believed was true. And as soon as that would happen, if this evidence was found, King Darius himself might have put an end to their building plans there in Jerusalem. In his first year of reign, King Darius, he had a lot of rebellions to put out in the kingdom. And so any sign of someone building something that is very solid would have been a threat to him on the throne. We're talking about something made with large stones, made very uh, strong with timbers. It could be a fortress that they're building over there in Jerusalem. And so Darius, if he hadn't found this little scroll, this little piece of evidence... He may have shut it down and completely destroyed the work and dispersed the people from there in Jerusalem. And so it is very important that the claims of God's people are shown to be true. And this is still the case today as well. That's my second main point this morning. Evidence is still found to support the claims of God's people. Christianity makes many, many, many claims, historical claims, that can uh, be investigated if you're willing to make a thorough search, if you're willing to look at those claims and look if there's evidence behind them. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not just simply abstract theology. It is about God entering into history and doing things in particular times and particular places. There are many, many historical uh, claims in the Old Testament about how God interacts with his people. And those things can be investigated. And they do have evidence behind them. Again and again, people dig up things. 
Um, they make archaeological searches and they find evidence to support the claims of the Old Testament, the claims of God's people made there in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the same. The New Testament makes many, many historical claims. It is not a book of abstract theology, of philosophy, all done with the mind. No, it is about God once again entering into history and giving opportunity for those who want to thoroughly investigate to find the evidence behind the claims of Christianity. And one particular event the whole New Testament hangs upon. What is that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The New Testament makes a very strong historical claim that one man, Jesus, came back to life. And if that is not true, if there is no evidence behind that claim, then the whole thing may be discarded. The book even says that itself. Paul says, we are to be pitied by all men if the resurrection is not true. We may as well throw the lot out if that historical claim about Jesus Christ's resurrection has no evidence behind it. But does it? Does the resurrection, does the New Testament have evidence behind it like the claims of the Israelites here had evidence behind their claim that Cyrus had indeed issued a decree? Well, yes, we can test the New Testament with historical tests to see whether they, whether what those claims are making are indeed true. There are different historical tests that we can use on the New Testament that we use on all historical documents to see whether the claims are true. And I just want to look at a couple of those tests this morning. I want to go through them because I think this is so important that we always remember that there is evidence behind the claims of God's people, just like these Israelites had evidence behind their claims. And so I want to go through a couple of those tests, and you can find them in any sort of apologetic book. Uh, Apologetics is a defense of the Christian faith. There are many, if you go over to Christian bookstores and ask for books on apologetics, there are many there. I just want to recommend one in particular this morning that I'm going to use uh, for this next part of my sermon. This is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I usually do a book review before the sermon. I thought it would be good to do it in the middle of the sermon today. Uh, I'm just going to use a number out of this. This is an excellent apologetic book. It's probably the best one that I've read, and I'm going to use a number of the uh, historical tests that it goes through in that. I don't have a copy on the bookstore. There were none at Kurong last time I went there, uh, but I have ordered a copy for the church library, and it should be there next week on the church library if you want to have a look at it. It is really good, working uh, firstly from a philosophical point of view as to whether God exists, and then working through the reliability of the Bible and particularly the New Testament. And so one of the first historical tests that we use on the New Testament is, are they early testimony? Do they come close to the time that Jesus was actually claimed to be raised from the dead? Were the documents written soon after Jesus was raised? And the answer is yes. Most of the entire New Testament was written within 40 years after Jesus' death. Now, some of you may think 40 years is a long time, but not from a historical point of view. People are still writing books 40 years after World War II or events uh, that have happened in the past. We're still uh, looking at a historic, from a historian's point of view. They get the evidence, they look at it, and they digest it. 
within a 40-year period is quite reasonable and it's actually quite good compared to other events at the time of Jesus and how far they are removed from the events when they actually write down. Many of them are hundreds of years after the event that they actually record what happened at the time. The other test is, are the documents eyewitness testimony? What's claimed here in the New Testament, was it written by eyewitnesses? And the answer is yes. Most of it is written by people who actually saw it themselves or by people who knew the eyewitness, itself, uh, the eyewitness themselves as well. So they were actually writing down what the eyewitness said. So an example of that is Mark. He was a close uh, disciple of Peter. And so he wrote Mark's gospel, but it's pretty much Peter's words that we uh, find there in Mark's gospel. Peter telling Mark what happened. Another test is, are the documents from multiple sources? Or is it just one person making all the claims? An example of that kind of religion is Islam. One person makes claims about what happens. Yes, the New Testament is made up of multiple authors and of multiple copies of those documents that we claim are from those authors. So we have multiple manuscripts. Again and again, people have written out copies of these so we can compare them and see whether they are true and right. Another one is, are the documents uh, from independent sources? Uh, Multiple people seeing that, and I already mentioned that. Is there corroborating evidence from archaeology? From archaeological evidence that we dig up, does that support the New Testament? Yes. In just the last 16 chapters of Acts, written by Luke, who was a very careful historian. He's always recording things uh, very carefully. We read that chapter, um, part of a chapter from Luke 3, Uh, where he just lists all those names of different people around at the time that John the Baptist came so that we can verify it, whether it is true or not. And he also wrote Acts. And in the last 16 chapters of Acts, we have 84 different verifiable facts from archaeological evidence that show that Luke was a very careful historian. And what he said was indeed true that can be verified from archaeological sources. And then another test is... Is their enemy attestation to what the the New Testament claims? It's very important that if you can find hostile witnesses saying the same thing about something. So, in the because people will say, "Oh, well, the New Testament's written by people who are biased, who are Christians themselves." Well, if you can find non-Christians saying the same things, it is a very strong point in favour that there is evidence behind what is claimed in the New Testament. And what can we tell from people who are not Christians saying things about what happens in the New Testament? Well, we've got from non-Christian sources that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, so he was an actual man, and he lived during the reign of that guy, Tiberius Caesar. He lived a virtuous life, so he wasn't a, a, a robber, he wasn't a murderer, he lived a virtuous life. Jesus was a wonder worker. They actually say that he's a sorcerer. So they're affirming that he did miracles. They just say that the miracles weren't from God, they were from Satan, but they acknowledge that he did miracles. People who have nothing to gain from Christianity acknowledge that Jesus did miracles. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. They admit that he was, uh, he said he was the Christ. They admit that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. They admit that there was darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. They admit that Jesus' disciples believed Jesus rose from the dead. 
They admit that Jesus' disciples were willing to die for their belief, which we see again and again in the pages of the New Testament. They witness that Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. They, they admit what happens in Acts, where you see it just spreading out very, very quickly. They admit that that happened. And they admit that the disciples denied the Roman gods and worshipped Jesus as God, which is one of the big claims of the New Testament, that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was God. And hostile sources say, yes, they did believe that. They believed that Jesus was God. So we see that there is evidence to support the claims of Christianity coming from hostile sources, which shows that the Christian claims are indeed true. Also, one last test is, are there any events or details that are embarrassing to the authors? If you're writing a piece of propaganda, you always put yourself in a good light. You don't see politicians speaking very much about their failures and their mistakes. And when someone's being honest about something, they will admit their failures, they will admit their mistakes. And we see that in the pages of the New Testament. The disciples, often you wonder, what were they thinking? But then you think, well, I would have been in the same boat probably if I was there at the time as well. They do stupid things. You see Peter there denying Jesus three times. They are really foolish at times. And they are shown there warts and all, which shows that the people in the New Testament are wanting to write the truth, not something that just puts Christianity in a good light from their point of view. They want to put what actually happened, warts and all. So the evidence shows that the New Testament is true. And if this evidence was not found, well then, like the Israelites back in the time of Ezra, it would have been, it'd be all over for us. If there was no evidence to back up our claims, particularly the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then we would look like liars or at best fools, idiots, for believing something that there is no evidence to support it. We'd look like complete fools. And if there was no evidence, if there were lots of mistakes in the New Testament, it would be very easy for people to come and overpower us, just like Darius would have come and overpowered the Israelites and shut down their construction on the temple. People would be easily able to disrupt Christianity and destroy it because they'd be able to point out that there is no evidence behind what we claim. But instead we find that there is evidence. And if you're a Christian this morning, I want to encourage you, do you take comfort in the fact that you have evidence behind the claims that you make. It is one of the most comforting things for me to do is to read apologetic books, is to read the evidence that is behind Christianity. It reaffirms to me again and again that what I'm believing is true and I'm not being misled, I'm not a fool, I'm not an idiot, that Jesus really did come back to life. It is there in the pages of the New Testament. It is claimed there, but there is evidence behind it to support that it is true. And I encourage you to do that yourself. If you are troubled, have doubts about Christianity, look for the evidence. Make a thorough search. And when you have people come to you and question the claims of Christianity, point them to the evidence. Encourage them to read books like the one I just showed. I have not enough faith to be an atheist, but I've got a whole other bunch of smaller ones that I could recommend to you to give them as well. 
point them to the evidence that we are not standing on fairy tales. We're standing on strong historical evidence. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to point you to that evidence now. I want to encourage you to make a thorough search. Remember what Darius did? He made a thorough search for the evidence. He didn't just stop in Babylon. He found the evidence there in Ekbatana. He went searching. It's all very easy to say, ah, oh, Christianity is foolish, there's mistakes in the Bible, without ever making a thorough search yourself. If you claim there are mistakes in the Bible, I'd be very interested for you to show me one afterwards. Show me the mistakes that you think are there in the Bible. Because usually the people who make that claim, when I challenge them to show me a mistake, they can't. And it's usually because they've never made a thorough search themselves. They've never looked carefully into the evidence behind Christianity, whether the New Testament is indeed true. So I want you to do that if you're not a Christian. Make a thorough search. Carefully investigate the claims of Christianity because if the claims that can be verified in the New Testament are true, then you should be accepting the claims that cannot be verified in the New Testament. What are those claims? The claim that Jesus is coming back and there will be a judgment day for all people who have sinned against God. But there is good news claimed in the New Testament as well that you can believe. And that is if that you believe that Jesus died for you, you repent of your sins, you will be safe. When Jesus returns, you will not be cast for eternity into hell because of your sins and eternally punished. But instead, you will go into eternal paradise, into heaven, to be with Jesus Christ. That claim is not verifiable yet, but one day it will be. When Jesus returns... We'll be able to all verify with our eyes that the claim of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is indeed true. And I want you on that day to be on the right side. I want you to be one going to heaven. If you're not, I encourage you this morning, investigate the claims of Christianity and then repent of your sins when you see that they're true. See those claims are true. Repent of your sins. Admit you're sorry to God for what you've done and believe that Jesus Christ died for you. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who enters into history, that you make claims that we can verify, that we can check. You expect us to use the brains you have given us, to weigh the evidence behind the claims of Christianity. Lord, we thank you that we can make thorough searches and find that evidence. And we thank you that so many people in this room have done that, have recognised that the Bible is true, that there is evidence behind it, and have recognised that they need to repent and believe in Jesus' death for themselves. Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who has not investigated the claims of Christianity. We pray that they would do so. We pray that they would check carefully whether indeed the evidence is there and that Jesus really did come back to life. And we pray that when they see that it is true, that they will hum be humbled, they will repent of their sinfulness and cast themselves 
upon you and beg that Jesus' death be for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.